stole a home run, Josh, for the Blue Jay. For them. <laughs> It's very confidence-inspiring when the guy coming in to close out the 3-1 lead in the ninth, I've never heard of. <laughs> it's not the only only bullpen in baseball where the opposing fans can yell at the pitchers. Okay, but did you see how close they were able to get to? Was it... And welcome to episode number 264 of Artificial Turf Wars, promising not to talk about every single outfield wall distance and height change since 2023. I'm your host, Greg Wisniewski, and I am joined uh, by the cheerful Joshua Housem. Josh, how are you doing tonight? I'm good. How about you? I'm good. I assume you're cheerful because the Jays, as we record this on a happy Friday night, are happily in the lead on uh, against Tampa, which... Currently... It's yeah, a happy okay. Let's not give this a turf pod jinx. <laughs> the turf pod only jinxes the maneuvers and transactions. Um, so we are going to talk about the week that was. Uh, Matt Chapman, after me complaining he didn't get player of the week the first week, went out and got it second week. Thank Turns you, out there wasn't one for the first week at the time we recorded. There you go. Um, Vladimir Guerrero Jr. has refused to be bad, which is an interesting way to keep going for a whole, whole season, I hope. Uh, we're going to talk about the home opener, about... Uh, hometown favorite kevin kiermeyer uh and the also the blue jays tendency to make the comeback happen although in california it was heart attack inducing is all i'm going to say uh yeah uh we've been through the rotation again so we're going to talk about what's changed there with uh bassett manoa and and maybe kikuchi um and then we have uh, your questions of course uh we have a do-over it's a real throwback in bad taste which is amazing that we we're going to go uh all the way to the national league for this one but first first matt holy crap chapman <laughs> yeah uh holy crap is a good way to put it <laughs> the, the best just, the best yeah. 12 game span of his career period uh, that, that came up on the broadcast the other night. I was trying to find it myself on the stats, looking at like his MVP caliber seasons, looking for a time when his OPS sailed up above, you know, 100, but I was just eyeballing it. And then Buck confirmed that this is the best dozen games he's ever had in a row in his career. Right. Uh, it's it's hard to top what he's doing. I mean, it, as of the recording, which is the middle of the game against the, the, the opener against the Rays, He's hitting 469 with a 527 on base and an 816 slugging. Some of those doubles finally started going for home runs. He's up to three now. It's beautiful. It makes me want to yeah. kind of tear up. <laughs> so one of the interesting, interesting things about when a guy does something like this, right? It's like, okay, it's only been 13 games because he missed one because he was sick. And it's like, okay, like you can't take a lot from 13 games. But he has made a noteworthy change in the way he swings. Matt Chapman has added a toe tap to his load. And one thing that seems to be coming from this is that he's staying closed a little bit longer, which is actually why we're, I think we're seeing more balls from him going to right center, which is not last year was just pretty much pulled everything or popped it up. Yeah, I, I watched Chris Black's tweet storm. On Matt Chapman, I don't know if you saw that or not. I think it was Chris. No, yeah. I, I I don't see those. 
so he specifically um, did talk about not opening up, and he had a, a bunch of, of freeze frames. And it, it's subtle. It's it's a hip turn. It's not like massive difference. But as we know with hitting, a very small adjustment can make a massive difference in results. Yeah, and also like the reason I mentioned the toe tap specifically is because that's also that's what's helping him stay closed, that second step. Because beforehand, he was just step and everything would go with it. Right. Now the second step, the, the tap back forces him to stay closed. And... You know, like he's got more balls to straight away center than pulled, which he's not used to doing. And the last time he did that with any kind of 50-50 range was when he was really good for Oakland in 2018-2019. So it's really good to see that. And yeah, so hitting the ball to, up the middle and hitting the ball hard. Uh, I Now I don't remember which rank he is because they give out the stat. They give it the stat multiple times that Vlad Jr., Bobachet, and Matt Chapman are all like top five in the league in hard hit rate. Yeah, the top of the Jays lineup is really, really good. <laughs> the three guys you just named all have OPSs over a thousand. Which for Bobachet is kind of crazy. Like I know he, he can do that, but that's really good for a shortstop. I mean, that's no, really, well, really, really good for anybody, anybody. But I mean, it's especially good for a shortstop, um, you know, as, as much as he is not the world's most uh, fantastic defensive shortstop, he, he is still managing to hold down the position. So, <clears throat> yeah, it's I, I would not want to face those three guys in order. No, and everybody's got to do it. And Springer is sort of starting to come alive a bit. He's got a couple home runs recently on this homestand, which the power hadn't really been there in the early going for him. And. Like with those four guys at the top, and Varsho isn't exactly a slouch. Well, actually, Varsho hits between Chapman and Guerrero just to throw a left-handed bat in there. And he's got a you know, base percentage over 400, and he's hitting 298. He's just the power hasn't come along yet. And obviously that will because that's one of his calling cards. So, yeah, it's a really strong top five in the order, and we're seeing that those guys really produce. Yeah, there was a game where they were the only ones who produced. It was a, a fascinating uh... – <laughs> I, I was going, all right, like top of the order has like nine hits and two walks and the bottom of five of the order had had no hits and a walk at like in the, like the fifth inning. I'm like, guys, I, it's good to cluster hits. It is. But um, what happened to the bottom half? Uh, I think um, we've probably kind of gotten off track here. We should probably talk about Vlad specifically because we kind of glossed over him and he shouldn't be glossed over. He's up to is it four strikeouts on the year now? Uh, let me just quickly check that. He, he has struck out four times. Yes, yeah, four in in thirteen games with seven walks and twenty two hit. <laughs> Those are weird video game numbers. Yeah, well, I mean, we've seen how good Vlad can be, right? When he's not expanding his strike zone, and this is what it looks like. Um, obviously. You know, we can't say that, oh, yeah, well, Vlad, Vlad's just going to hit 400 for the rest of the year because yeah, that's, not, that's not really how it goes. But he might hit 350. I mean, no, again, that's very high and yeah. that's an outlier number, but he is that good. Yeah. Um, and uh, here's a question for you. Um, so we know despite what every announcer who has you know played baseball will tell you, that pitchers don't pitch differently based on who is after them in the lineup because, you know, we have tons of evidence that says that never happens. 
But does does someone like Vlad hit differently if he is more confident that Matt Chapman or Dalton Varsho is going to move him around the bases? If he honestly believes that, does he take a different approach to his at bat? Well, uh, if you listen to Vlad talk before the season, which we mentioned on the last episode, you know, he was openly trying to do too much. He admitted as much that he was getting out of his patient zone because he was trying to do a lot. And if you look at the offense last year, nobody was really hitting for most of it. I mean, Bichette obviously caught fire in September, but through through that point in the season, nobody was hitting all that well. So you can understand why that might have happened to him. And so while the answer is it probably shouldn't, it clearly does. But um, but one of the interesting things about Vlad's doing this year, too, uh, the early launch angle numbers are good, 11.5, which is higher than it was in 2021. The average exit velocity is, as always, is elite. Right? You know, <laughs> you know, he's the best hard-hitting guy in the league. He doesn't hit as hard as, say, Stanton or Judge or O'Neill Cruz randomly, but he's right up there with them. He's you know, just right behind them. So, I mean he's just one of the best hitters in the game when he's being patient. And right now he's being patient. Yeah. Fingers crossed that he remembers to be patient for six months or at least five out of the six months. Because <laughs> uh, it, it's everything, everything clicks better for the rest of the lineup when, oh, I don't know, Vlad's on second base because he hit a double or he's on first because he walked and, you know, pushed somebody onto, onto second. <clears throat> yeah. Uh, so uh, we should move to the home opener, which looked, uh, well, the very first thing that happened in the home opener was Kevin Kiermeyer, which is, which is crazy. Because, I mean, I've, I've detested the name Kevin Kiermeyer. I'm one of those fans since, like, 2019, 2018. I, I don't know. It feels like forever. Um, Longer. And, <laughs> and, and now I don't have to detest that name anymore. I have to feel the opposite way, and it's it's a really tough paradigm shift. It's funny. <laughs> like, uh, you don't expect to immediately fall in love with a guy that you really disliked when he was in another team like that. But <laughs> he stole a home run, Josh, for the Blue Jays, for well, them. <laughs> what's really funny is that when they announced these renovations, or like they showed them off, Kiermaier said, "Oh, I'm gonna, I'm gonna have some highlights at that fence or something like that." Literally, the first ball hit in his direction. He robbed a home run on the short fence. <laughs> the first one. How does that happen? Uh, it's baseball. You see something new, something you've never seen every night at the ballpark. There's a chance. Uh, and then he turned around and he homered in the same game. Yeah, he was plus two. <laughs> it was just, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, the, so this is the interesting thing. So we talked about you know his defense on the last episode, and obviously that play we had to highlight that play. He's also hitting very well still. Um, he just one of the weird things about Kevin Kiermaier. So typically, when you think of light hitting outfielder. The idea is just blow fastballs by them. Right. Kevin Kiermeyer can't hit breaking balls. So <laughs> I don't really understand the approach. Like he's facing more fastballs than usual. And he's hitting 429 against them because he makes contact with fastballs where his contact rate on breaking balls is atrocious. It's like 60% of swings, which is really bad. And 
teams just keep feeding him fastballs. <laughs> it's really funny. I hope it doesn't change because go bad pitching decisions. But yeah, it's a uh, it's a confusing development, especially yeah, curveballs and changeups. He's just not seeing as many of them, and those are the things he sucks against. So it's working it, out. It really makes him feel like a leadoff hitter when he's batting ninth, right? Because he has. Now he's got on-base skills that he probably shouldn't have because we've established his career norm is not, you know, 400 on-base percentage. And he's not any slower than he was. He can still steal and take an extra base, you know, given the opportunity. So it it, it is kind of a funny thing to have happened uh, right at the bottom of the lineup. Like, you can't – like teams should know by now you can't just ignore Kevin Kiermaier. And he's also got two butt singles because he's got that. Like he and Varsho, it's like you can't ignore the fact that they just might do that to you. Yeah, 100%. Um, did we – when did we record last? Did we record last Friday? Yes, I think yes. that's right. So so the 12-11 game, I think, deserves some, some you know, verbiage. <laughs> uh I I was at uh, an Easter celebration, so I was unable to like watch that game. I I don't know if my TV would be intact if I had had to watch that game. Like something may have gone flying at it. So I think I tweeted at the end of this game. I can't believe they won that game, but if they hadn't, I would can't believe they wouldn't. Have, they would have lost that game. <laughs> <laughs> uh, what did I call it? A, a, a gorgeous, horrible triumph. Yeah, a horrible triumph. That's what I I called it. <laughs> it's like, okay, you're you're up by four runs with, or three runs at that point. Sorry, with with your closer on the mound, on the road. Seems simple to me. And yet, no. <laughs> Was, yeah, of course, the one game that he melts down in is the lowest leverage, right? The run is only good when it's hard. Well, he, it got hard, and then he. Sure. So who I'm, I forget who walked in the run and who hit by pitched in the run. Oh, there were both. Um, there, yeah, it was just bad. And then the Blue Jays uh, again. Kiermaier hits a hits a double in the bottom of the eleventh or top of the eleventh, uh, and and scores a run, and then and then Springer drives him in. Praise to be to the legs of Kevin Kiermaier. Um, but I'm, I'm pretty sure uh, Richards, who was trying to close that game out, had a 3-2 pitch that he bounced about 15 feet in front of home plate. So this was what was baffling to me about this one. So <clears throat> there were two runners on, and the Blue Jays were up by, one, by two with Mike Trout on deck. Look, Taylor Ward's fine. He's not a bad hitter. How do you walk Taylor Ward to bring up Mike <laughs> Trout with the bases loaded in a two-run game? How? That's that's like things the people who who are, are professional baseball players wake up in a cold sweat over. <laughs> Just imagining walking someone to get to Mike Trout. Seriously, like, oh my goodness! And then so and then on the first pitch he gets Trout to pop it up, and then Kirk missed it. I'm like, oh my god. So, and then he walks Trout to get to Otani, and it's like, oh, my, oh, 
And then they brought in uh, Meza, who threw a cookie on the first pitch, and Otani took it. And then he threw two sinkers in off the plate, nasty ones, and got him to ground out and end the game. But oh my god, what a nightmare that was! Yeah, like it, like so. There are certain games where you can you can feel like 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 you're clutching to the ledge, and you can feel each finger slipping off the ledge with each pitch. You know what I mean? Yeah, that was one of those games where it was like we're we're almost off the ledge. We don't we don't have any ledge left. We're on the road. We're the the team has run out of relievers. We're hoping Tim Mesa has it figured out today because he's got nowhere to put anybody, and it's Shohei Otani. Please help, and <laughs> and someone did help, but I can I can think of so many times, uh, not necessarily last year, but in be- anything in between twenty sixteen and last year where where you were off you know plummeting to earth and losing those games without even thinking about it it's it's you know it's my tweet that is it's my pen tweet sure beats the heck out of losing all the close games yeah it does it it does make it nicer when you when you win those games but yeah i'm glad there was a day off between that and the home opener because i feel like i feel like they might have been a bit gassed had the home opener gone next well it definitely helps to get a day off when you use literally all your pitchers. Yep. Uh, and then thank goodness for the Tigers is all I'm going to say. I, I know they didn't get the sweep, but the, the Tigers bullpen made it look really easy at times. Uh, they started with a 3 nothing lead in the second inning, and then they, nine unanswered runs in that home opener. Yeah. And just a power show. But Shad hit the first uh, Rogers Center special, <laughs> the 364-foot home run to the gap. Yep. And I don't I don't think it's going to play super small, except no, for either. Except for Boba Shad. Well, and Chapman and Vlad, they both hit, well, Chapman now. But, like, Vlad hits the ball out that way, too. Of course, when he does, it goes 420 feet. So it doesn't really matter. But, um. But yeah, Boba Shett, that's made for him, that little short alley in right center. But then the next night, I, I, so I, I tweeted this and I had the same thought. I was talking, I was at the game with, um, I can't remember who, Andrew, I was at the game with Andrew Arnold. I can't remember if I said it to him though, but it's very confidence inspiring when the guy coming in to close out the 3-1 lead in the ninth, I've never heard of. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you've, you've heard of everybody. I've heard of a lot of baseball players, <laughs> you know, mm. I've heard of a lot of guys that most people probably haven't heard of. That's not bragging. I just care a lot. I had never heard of Trey Wingenter. <laughs> and then he showed me why. <laughs> um, was that the walk-off? Yeah. So he went, he yeah. came in, went single walk, walk, or single walk with a wild pitch that was about 10 feet wide. And then he hit Varsho on a three, two pitch. And then he got taken out. And then uh, <laughs> poor Jason Shreve, he comes in, he gives up two sack flies, gets out of the inning, and then he gives up a sack bunt to Kiermaier, gets taken yep. out, the reliever gives up a hit, and he and <laughs> Shreve, who paced four batters, got all four of them out, gets tagged with a loss. Yeah, sorry, dude. Uh, it, sometimes that's the way it goes. Uh, he'll get a vulture win later, you know. Uh, yeah. Yeah, and and that was one of those. Uh, the infield in is bad for so many reasons, but you have no choice in that situation. It's the wonders of being at home in extra innings. Um, 
because because that ball was was a easy ground ball, uh, and Javier Baez didn't have a, a chance. Uh, yeah, it was a. Yeah. I think the expected batting average on the ground ball was like zero sixty. <laughs> <laughs> right up the middle. But yeah, the infield was in, and it, the only it was allowed to be in because of the play that Vlad made in the bottom or the top of the inning, sail, saving yet another wild Bobachet throw for to for an inning ending play, which is on his gold glove bobblehead night. It was very fitting that he saved a win. But yeah, it was you know they took advantage of a weak Tigers bullpen and they did some good. You know, they they good fundamental play with the sack bunt and the and the getting the ball the sack flies and then just putting the ball in play with the runners in or the infield in like so what you want, yeah, yeah. Get, getting two sack flies in an inning is uh, is really I mean obviously you want the hits if you can get them but but not ending up with a ground out there and getting the runner from second to third on the sack fly those those are really great bits of execution to to take at least the minimum opportunity you have and turn it into something. Yeah. Um, so yeah, those are, those are some comebacks that we, I, please don't do this all year. You're going to get these heart attacks. <laughs> but we'll take it. Um, so as we go through the rotation here again, uh, Alec Manoa and his velocity and his control, both of these things don't seem to be showing up regularly. No, they don't. Um, you know, I don't know if it's like he gets jazzed up for these big games, home opener, opener in the playoff game. But, you know, three of his last four starts haven't been great. Although, I mean, the one against Seattle wasn't horrible. He just gave up three runs in the first. But, yeah, he was bad again in uh, in the opener. He couldn't throw strikes. He was he gave up a couple home runs or maybe just the one homer. But and he he didn't go deep again. And. The velocity was down again. Again, it's too early to worry about it in that sense because you know, he was fine the game before despite the walks. And he was throwing hard in the opener. But that said, it's now two in a row with it down. And it was down in the spring. And you wonder if maybe the pitch clock is affecting him in terms of because he used he was actually not a very quick worker. So maybe it's making him throw a little slower or throw a little wilder because he's getting a little more tired. It's, it's too early to say, but these are the things that it, it, it makes us have to pay attention to. Yeah. And I, yeah. It's the stuff I don't want to worry about, but I have to worry about. Um, <clears throat> that, that said, Chris Bassett finally put it together in his last start. Yeah. He hit 94.8. It's not 90, quite 95, but it may as well be. <laughs> which is harder than he threw all of last April. So it, it looks like that he really did just need to build up his velocity. I mean, it'd be nice if he built it up a little earlier. You know? so, <laughs> so we're not coming out here in the third start wondering where the fastball is, but it was there. And he actually had a really nice outing and got a little unlucky and left. And then he got a loss because the Jays didn't hit, but he pitched very well. Yeah. I, I think, you know, same with, uh, Gaussman went eight innings again. Gaussman's been great. Sorry, I, we, well, we didn't even talk about him. He's just yeah. so good. He's just so good. It's like, oh, Kevin Gaussman's fine. He's not. He's not even conversation worthy. He throws eight innings, allows unfortunately three runs. That's I'm fine with any pitcher who goes out eight innings every time and gives allows three runs. You should be able to score four for that guy. And, and then with they eleven have, strikeouts and no walks. Yeah, like okay, so you allowed a homer or two. 
it, stuff happens sometimes. It you know it's fine. Um, so um, so Gaussman's out there not getting the win just because the team can't score early enough. Uh, Bassett's out there getting the win because not getting the win because the team didn't score. Um, what do we what do we think about Yusei Kikuchi? So he pitched the game that <laughs> the nightmare game. Yeah. Uh, well, okay. He, was he was he the starter who who gave the? I thought it was Bassett with the eighty nine. No, that was the first game. Never mind. That was the first game in um in California. Uh, yeah. How anyway, far did he get in the nightmare game? Four innings. So yeah. So he yeah, he lasted four and a third. He gave up six runs. So, but that's a lot worse than it sounds. He wasn't great. Like objectively, he wasn't. But only the one walk, six strikeouts, and the first three-run homer, the inning should have been over twice before that. And, you know, that doesn't excuse giving up the bomb, but Hunter Renfro against left-handed pitchers, that's just kind of what he does. That's his only, that's his thing. <laughs> so it wasn't good by any stretch, but it was a lot more encouraging than his bad outings were last year. Because as long as he's not walking people, he's going to have more good outings than bad outings. Yeah, I agree. It's the, the the real problem was not knowing where the ball was going, and he seems to have tightened that up quite a bit. Um, even if he's not striking people out, I think his second inning he only struck out like his second outing he struck out two, or first outing he struck out two. But no one walk. It's like okay, so people yep. people can't wait him out at the moment, and waiting him out is when the pitch count goes through the roof and everything else gets worse. So yeah, yeah. Um, so. And now Jose Barrios appears to know what he's doing. <laughs> well, oh, he did for so, five so, innings, so, and then he so left he, the game with a liner, 111 miles an hour comeback ground, like a grounder, actually, technically, but off his knee. So hopefully he's fine. Yeah, let's hope so. Because uh, up until then, uh, I mean, six hits isn't great, but one run only in five and a third. Yeah, it was interesting what he was doing in this game. He was throwing uh, a few more change-ups than than he had been in the, in the early going of the season, he was throwing more of his slurry pitch, call it a curve, call it a slider, who cares, but throwing that more than anything else. And in this game, he was more fastball, curveball, and change up. And so, so it just kept the hitters off balance a little bit more. I mean, the Rays didn't look very good in the early parts of this game. So I mean, credit to, to Barrios, but we'll have to see it again. If he, if he can make this strategy work, with more of an even mix between the slur, the slurve and the changeup, then great. If not, well, we got a question about this, <laughs> but that, but we'll leave it at that. But hopefully he's healthy and this stuff actually matters. Cause obviously if he's injured, it's moot. Well, we'll just call it Ricky Tiedemann from double a. Cause he struck all, what, all nine batters out in his debut. Yes. <laughs> I mean, no, not all nine batters. He gave up two singles, one of which was an infield single, but all the outs were strikeouts. All the outs were strikeouts. Well, that's, I mean, that's simple really. Why not, why not just call him up he does, if he's going to do that all the time? Sure. Uh, any other uh, weekly highlights that we, we skimmed over? Um, we addressed some of the bullpen. Anthony Bass has been struggling a bit, and he seems to have fallen into the near the, – you know, the, he's the bottom guy on the totem pole. Well, him and Richards, depending on the situation. But uh, we talked about in our 26 and 52 episode that Jays can cover that now. Like with, with – pop ascension into being a really solid reliever and then garcia and swanson you know they've got some good quality right-handed pitchers in the back of that bullpen so if fast struggles they can handle it sounds good 
All right, so that is the week that was. Uh, we're going to come back with your questions and a couple of other, uh, you know, a do-over from around baseball, and we will be back in just a few seconds. And we are back, this time for real. Okay, we're, we're always, like, back for real. But, but not only are we back for real, oh, we have your questions, which I have not loaded the stinger for, so I'm going to add it in later, and it's going to seem like I hit the stinger right here. It's really weird. Time now to hear from our listeners. That just seems silly. Here are the rules. First I ask a question, then you ask a question. Now how does that sound, sweetheart? Could you repeat the question, please? Okay, so the question that we start with is from BK at underscore BKUH underscore <clears throat> if Barrios is good tonight. Now that Barrios has figured things out, how do we project him moving forward? If Barrios is bad tonight, what do we do about Barrios? Uh, what if Barrios gets injured tonight? <laughs> what about that, Josh? <laughs> we just hope that it's fine. <laughs> yeah. Um, we, I mean, we kind of touched on this in the first part. Uh, well, he should try this again if he's healthy. If not, then it's back to the drawing board of trying to learn a new pitch or something again. Yeah, I think maybe, maybe the classic don't give them the same thing each time through the the lineup because he does have a wide enough repertoire to do that. Maybe he's not been doing that because it's always worked. You know, his stuff has always worked. Um, but we shall see. The cat in the hat. Uh, Leslie underscore nope. Here's my question. How TF are the Rays pulling this off? I didn't want to use the beep button. Um, how are the Rays pulling it off, Josh? Hacking Pitchcom? I don't know. Their offense has been unreal, which is like not what you think about when it comes to the Rays. <laughs> and then you watch them in the game that we're playing that's going on right now. They just hit back-to-back -back home runs. Like, Where did this power come from, from the bottom of the Rays order? Yeah. It's odd. Um, they are really, really crushing first pitches which is interesting uh that's that was kind of the jay's mo a couple of years ago just ambush the first pitch of the of the inning or of the at bat because you might be getting a good one so that's the kind of thing that teams will have to adjust to and yeah we'll go from there essentially yeah I mean, bad teams don't win 13 games in a row but we didn't expect that you know the rays to be bad teams but uh you don't have to be a great team to win 13 games in a row. You just have to nope. be lucky. <laughs> it's kind of weird. Um, remember that stretch last year when the Yankees looked like they were going to win like... A thousand know, games? Yeah, like, <laughs> like 120 games. They were on that pace. And then all of a sudden, just no. <laughs> I was like, yeah. oh, okay, I don't know what happened. Um, I, I think probably they'll be able... What happened with the Rays in a couple of months? And it'll be like, well, they finally found their true talent level. Uh, but in the meantime, yeah, it's scary. It's scary to, to face a team on a 13-game win streak. Although, it does feel like, you know, something's got to give. Yeah, well, in, in this game, they they've played very poorly. They walked in back-to-back -back runs, then had a routine double play while they threw into right field. You know, it's, it's like all the luck came crashing down in one, <laughs> one inning of play. But uh, this one, oh, again, recording during the game, it's not over. It's 6-3, to three, so... but. Uh, 
hopefully their first loss is coming. I believe the Jays have had the lead in this game more innings than the Rays have been been behind the entire year. I think they had been behind for six 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 innings all year. And the Jays have been winning the entire game, and we're going into the eighth. So yeah, yeah. <laughs> anyway, P, BK has another question. What are your current bullpen arm confidence ranking? Uh, I have my thoughts. Do you know what yours are? Um, I am I am high on Jordan Romano, Yumi Garcia, obviously Zach Pop. Um, and then it it starts to fall off a little bit. I think Trevor Richards. I haven't really noticed him being horrible this year so i feel like trevor richards has earned my some of my confidence back oh, um pretty bad <laughs> yeah see see that's because i haven't been paying attention um uh, yeah. and then so, uh yeah like you said anthony bass is a little little uh, less than he was last year yeah you missed eric swanson who is uh, fantastic yeah, so for, for me, it's yeah. So for me, it's just, you know, despite Garcia just giving up back-to-back bombs in this game as we were recording this, to me, the the four guys I'm just confident in: Romano, Swanson, Garcia, Pop. I, anytime they're out there, I expect them to get the job done. Uh, Bass, uh, yeah. So for me, Bass is near the bottom now, uh, down there with Trevor Richards, and then Tim Mesa. He's above them. Like I'm more confident that Mesa will get the job done, but I'm not as confident as I am with those other four guys. Do we? Are we missing someone? <laughs> for uh, probably. Yeah. Uh, you can you can tear us apart in the comments. Oh, Simber, Simber. Yeah. Oh, he's, yeah. He's, he's he's in the uh, he's in the Mesa zone. The Mesa. Maybe a little more than Mesa. <laughs> um, Kyle Harvey. At uh, KYR3L says, I'm very confident what the bullpen bleacher seats continue to do. Okay, continue. Interesting word there. I was there for the first three games, front row, small sample size, but I think it's paying off. The pitcher can't do anything without hearing it from the fans. Should I should I break it to Kyle? Go ahead. It's not making any difference at all. <laughs> Probably not. <laughs> That said, it's not the only only bullpen in baseball where the opposing fans can yell at the pitchers. Okay, but did you see how close they were able to get to? Was it like Foley for the Tigers? Like the guy was inches away from screaming in his face. You can't do that in most bullpens as the guy's coming into the game. It's just kind of weird that one. I was like, really? Is that? Okay? Or was it Shreve? Uh, I can't Shreve. remember who it was. Yeah, know. yeah. It- he was he was definitely jumping right in his face. It, it looked more like watching someone come off a basketball court, um, you know that the the walk down the tunnel. It looked like yeah. that. Yeah, I mean we have seen, but well, we saw Anthony Rondon lose his mind over something like this not too long ago. Just a week last week we were talking about this, I think. So it could get in their head a little bit. Yeah, I don't think it's nothing. I don't think it's much, but I don't think it's nothing. Well, they're okay. human. The amount of calories burned is, is, is otherwise every, every other reliever would come in and melt down just because they'd been told off by, uh, by the yeah, fans. But that's, but that's the, that, that's taking it to an extreme, right? That you're saying it always matters versus it might matter sometimes, which is, I think, realistic. All right. I'm sure. That, see, now we need to get StatCast to look into this. 
Relievers, How does that cast look into it? Relievers intimidated. Well, you you, you compare the the uh, you know overall reliever performance after having faced off against the Toronto Bleachers versus all the performances across the league where the but the, it has nothing over- to do with <laughs> overall performance. It's just like one guy one day might be in the headspace where it could bother him enough that he might screw up. Like it, if it happens one time out of four hundred, you know it's worth it, right? Okay. What? <laughs> it's not like it's like, not like the fans lose anything. Who cares if if nothing goes right for them? They still get to (laughs) scream at the opposing relievers. They get to have fun. Okay, as as a fun component, I'm I'm all here for it. But as a as a game impact component, I just I don't know. I'm I'm not I'm not as uh, not as keen on it as you are. This is not something about keen. It's just you're acting like (laughs) players are robots and they're not. Uh, Our last question (laughs) is from number one Gibby fan Yaboy nine eight nine two. Based on the overall disappointment of uh, Whitfield, Biggio, Whitfield, Merriweather. Whit, Biggio. Whit, Biggio, and Espinal. Who, who do you think should get the playing time? Also, not, not to already make a move there, but how long do you think it would take to make the move to get Otto or maybe Barger up to take some reps? Barger or Barger? Barger. Barger, up to take some reps. I don't think it's going to be that long. It, none of them are hitting. Uh, Merrifield's not going anywhere. He's got the, the contract and the track record and he's a better outfielder than either of the other two guys. But Biggio, oh boy. I mean, that guy's got to start producing to some level because he doesn't really offer much in, in terms of he's not that fast. He's not a great defender other than he's pretty good at second, but they've got two good Seneca basemen. Uh, yeah, uh, he's, I think Biggio is the guy who's got to be looking over his shoulder a little bit. If Barger starts raking in AAA, I could see them being like, okay, Barger, you're the new starting second baseman. And Merrifield and Espinal, you'll play when there's a lefty on the mound. Well, it's seeing Espinal, Espinal's two-digit batting average, that's even tough at the moment. I mean, I know his yeah. talent's better than that, but wow. Well, I, and I guess if Barger's there, he could play third. He could play short as well, though he's not a great shortstop. But the reason Espinal's got to stick around is because of his defensive ability to back up at short and third. But yeah, but if Barger can handle those things, then yeah, maybe you could send him down. But either way, it, it's one of these guys will have to start hitting if Barger gets off hot in AAA. I don't think Otto Lopez has taken anyone's job yet. I do think you're you, you've still got a week or two before someone makes a move just because i think you need that long yeah. to tell whether your barger's doing anything yeah yeah <laughs> that's it, why i said yeah. soon it's not yeah, it's no not no gonna he, happen he asked, before we he, record again yeah yeah he asked how long so yeah yeah, yeah at least a couple weeks um, yeah, if not longer yeah especially because the rest of the team is hitting well so you can i think you can wait a little longer to see if the black hole in your lineup is going to suddenly not be a black hole because i mean the catching position has not been super fantastic either um because Danny Jansen is back to, uh, you know, in between injuries, Danny Jansen or whatever you want to call him. <laughs> yeah, he's not hitting at all. Kirk's not hitting that well either. Did the bomb against Detroit notwithstanding. Yeah, yeah, it's uh, again with 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 the player of the week and two other guys with an OPS of one thousand. It doesn't seem it doesn't feel so bad, but it is bad down there. It's it's kind of rough. Yep. Speaking of bad down there. We have a do-over uh, for the Marlins, who, I mean, sometimes entire seasons for them are a do-over.
Oops, I said the quiet part loud and the loud part quiet. <laughs> but what if you could do it all over again? But what I really meant was... That's true. Um, so this is this came in from someone on Twitter uh, who's a Marlins ticket. They buy tickets from the Marlins, I guess. And they got an email that said, they, when the Cubs come to town from at the end of April, they're going to be celebrating Bartman Appreciation Weekend. Uh, for the non-baseball historians, do you want to give them a quick rundown on who Steve Bartman was? Yeah, he's the most overrated foil in the history of sports. <laughs> so in, in the 2000, and, uh, I guess it was 2003 NLCS, game six, the Cubs were winning 3 nothing against the Marlins. And Luis Castillo hit a fly ball down the left field line not the pitcher, the second, the current pitcher. It was the second baseman, had the same name. And Moises Alou went to catch a ball that was towards the stands, and Steve Bartman, a fan, reached up and grabbed it and knocked it out of Alou's hands, or, or knocked it away. Alou never had it in his glove. The Cubs melted down after that and gave up eight runs, ended up losing that game, losing game seven, and the Marlins went to the World Series and won it. Steve Bartman basically became like a pariah. A pariah. Like, he was a huge Cubs fan, and he could never go to games again. He had to move, all because of this nonsense. So for the Marlins to bring this back up, it's like, just let this guy live. Like, what the hell? And also, it's like, when that happened, they hadn't scored yet. It was still 3 nothing. And then and it was, it was the, walked. It was the second out he interrupted, quote-unquote. Even if, even if the play gets made, that's not the end of the inning. Yeah, and here's what happened afterwards. Single, error on a double play ball that would have been in the inning. Double, walk, sack fly, walk, double, single. Yeah, but it's all Bartman's fault, right? <laughs> like, I just feel so bad for this guy that he had to deal with this when it wasn't his fault. Also, Alou might not have caught the ball anyway. Like He was jumping, reaching into the stands to catch the ball, and he wasn't exactly a gold glover. So screw you, Marlins. Don't just let the guy live. Yeah. Stay classy. As he said in his tweet uh, about this, I, I, it's, it's just not necessary. Uh, yeah. The do-over is um, have, have promotions that celebrate people, not make fun of people. It's, that was easy, wasn't it? Yeah. All right. That about rounds out our uh, state of the Blue Jays as it were. Do you have any other thought? Uh, perhaps a final one for me, sir. Why don't you go first this time, just to change it up? I, I joked about this as the opening tagline, uh, but man, the first broadcast, especially on the radio, of the ballpark, the home opener, was excruciatingly boring to listen to. Because there were things happening on the mound. Manoa was struggling with velocity. He was struggling with control. I didn't get to hear about any of what was going on in the game because they went over the height and distance of every single bit of the outfield fence, which means nothing to me on the radio. Yeah, that's, wow, that's bad. Yeah, uh, and then Hazel May also did her grand tour of every eating spot in the ballpark while there was an, a ball game going on. And I, I feel like they squeezed those in better. I'm so glad I know I can get a poutine hot dog. But again, I, I know you want to show off the ballpark, but you're kind of taken away from the game a lot 
Could you save it for game two or three or four? You've got all year to talk about the ballpark. It's not going anywhere. That's my rant. I mean, I, I, I get why they did it. But uh, mine is, it. Um, we talked about Jansen's offense. But one thing that still bothers me about Danny Jansen is his receiving of the low strike. So Jimmy Garcia gave up back-to-back home runs in the seventh inning of this game. Before one of them, there was a pitch. It was two strikes, and it was like he threw a slider just off the plate, just down. It was probably a ball, but Jansen did his typical stab at the ball and try to bring it back. He cannot get low strikes at all with that approach, and it's it looked like he was trying to address this in the spring, but it's still the same problem. And at some point, it's gonna ha- it's gonna hurt them more than it did with a home run in a six to one or six to two game. I can't remember which home run it was before. I suppose the irony there is that Alejandro Kirk is really, really good at the low strike. Well, it's not the irony. It's just that it's like maybe teach him. You know, that, that's the ironic part is like you're you're one of the best in the game is literally in the clubhouse with you and you've not managed to communicate how to do it between the yeah. two. Oh, well, wow. it's, it's I mean, it's not that it's not even about communicating how it's just they have different approaches to. To how they attack. Everything like uh, Jansen keeps his glove high and Kirk drops his down. But I mean, it, it takes a lot of work to switch that. But I would just would hope he would have done it by now. <laughs> All right. And that is the thought for the road. Um, ladies and gentlemen, uh, you have been Joshua Housem at Joshua Housem. I have been Greg Wisniewski at Coolhead 2010. And this has been episode number 264 of Artificial Turf Wars. And we will talk at you next week.